guys. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. This podcast is a free educational resource, so if you like what I'm doing and would like to contribute something to the show, head over to wordsforgranted.com and follow the link to my Patreon account. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that helps independent creators get their work out into the world. And if you'd like to find out more about how it works, well, just head over to the site. I'd like to thank my pal Arpon for getting the ball rolling and being the first contributor to the Words for Granted cause. All right, let's get things started. Today, we'll be continuing our look at the etymology of technology-related words. In last week's episode, we looked at the evolution of the word digital. In case you missed it, digital is derived from the Latin word digitus, meaning finger or toe. Because we have both ten fingers and ten toes, digitus also came to mean any whole number smaller than ten. English eventually inherited the word digit, which has the same dual meaning. Because modern computers express information in complex series of zeros and ones, the formerly numerical term digital was applied to this new technology. In short, digital comes from an ancient root word repurposed for the modern world. This kind of ancient etymology is actually quite common for modern technology. It's something important to keep in mind over the course of this whole episode, and before we dive in, I'd like to look at a few more examples. When televisions first became widely available to the American public during the 1950s, the word didn't just appear out of thin air. It combined two ancient roots, tele, the Greek word for far or distant, and videre, the Latin word for to see. So television literally means to see from afar or to see from a distance. The same root word tele also appears in telephone. Phone is the Greek word for voice or sound, so a telephone literally means distant voice or distant sound. Though the technology is new, or at least at one point was new, the words themselves most certainly are not. It's actually quite rare for a completely new word to come into existence, even if the word is describing a completely new form of technology. What usually happens is a new grammatical form of a pre-existing root word will come into usage, such as the word text used as a verb, or pre-existing root words will be combined in new ways, as seen in the previous examples of television and telephone. But what about the compound word cellular phone? What do its individual components literally mean? Well, we just looked at the word phone, but... What about the word cellular? Have you ever thought about what it even refers to? According to the primary definition of the word cellular, the word means consisting of living cells, but certainly your cell phone is not alive, so with reference to the term cellular phone, this can't be right. Unlike the meaning of micro in microwave, the video in video game, and the remote in remote control, all of which are also compound words describing technologies, the meaning of cellular in cellular phone isn't immediately clear. Like many others, I was always under the false impression that the word cellular had something to do with the fact that cell phones run on batteries, and batteries consist of positive and negative cells. This is only a coincidence, but as it turns out, 
The cells in both cell phone and battery cell are closely related cognates. They are also cognate with prison cells, biological cells, and for that matter, cellar, cellulite, cellulose, and cellophane. All applications of the root word cell in the English language are etymologically connected. So, what's the common ancestor to all of these cell words, and where and when does the story begin? The story of the word cellular in the English language begins in approximately the 12th century AD, and the common ancestor is... Christian monks? Yeah, you bet. After the Christianization of Anglo-Saxon England during the 7th century, monasteries gradually began appearing all over the country. There are several subcategories of early Christian monasteries, but for our purposes, we can define a monastery as a building or buildings occupied by monks living under religious vows. Monks lived in rooms called cells, and this is the oldest attested usage of the word in English. It came from the Latin word cella, which literally meant small room, storage room, or hut, and cella was derived from another Latin word, celare, which meant to hide away. As cella passed through Old French and eventually into English, the hard C sound became a soft C sound. Indeed, the monastic cells occupied by monks were both small and hidden away. In order to enforce spiritual devotion and renunciation of the material world, cells contain little to no furnishings. Though monastic cells were entwined with a religious way of life, don't let that distract you from what they really were. They were just small rooms. Architecturally, you might define a cell as a small compartmentalized section of a larger structure. This architectural principle is the key to understanding how the word was reapplied to new concepts as time went on. In as early as the 14th century, philosophers were using the word cell to describe different portions of the brain, though these brain cells were different than the actual kind of brain cells that we know to exist today. The idea was that the brain contained three cells, or compartments, each of which was the site of a different mental activity. The medieval pseudoscience of a three-part brain held that the imagination existed in the anterior cell, reason existed in the middle cell, and memory existed in the posterior cell. Makes perfect sense by medieval standards. By the 17th century, the term cell also had been applied to the living quarters of prisoners, which is the architectural sense of the word that we're most familiar with today. Given what we know about the kind of cells that monks used to live in, this application makes perfect sense, right? Prison cells are small, unfurnished rooms that are part of a larger architectural structure. During the same century, English genius Robert Hooke applied the word cell to biology. Hooke was one of the first men to experiment with early microscopes, and while looking up close at thin slices of cork, he observed that the cork was actually made up of thousands of tiny, box-like compartments. These compartments reminded him of the kind of rooms that monks and prisoners lived in, so he metaphorically called them cells. Coincidentally, the Latin word celari, which is cognate with cella, adds a poetic touch to the coinage of the biological cell. 
if you recall, kelare meant to hide or conceal, and until this point in human history, cells were hidden and concealed from human knowledge. After Hooke's discovery, the word cell was used as a general term for any biological compartment or cavity, such as honeycombs or fruit segments. It was not until the 1800s that the word was restricted to its modern biological sense, which is the basic building block of life. A little later in the 1800s, the modern battery was invented, and yet again, cell was appropriated for the term battery cell. Batteries contain two electrochemical cells that react together to generate electricity. Like the cells of a monastery, prison, or a honeycomb, the cells of a battery are distinct compartments that contribute to the structure of a larger whole. So, what does any of this have to do with cellular phones? A phone isn't a living thing, so it isn't cellular in this sense, and we've already established that the name does not derive from the electrochemical cells found in batteries, so what the heck does it refer to? The name cellular phone actually comes from the cell towers that give your phone service. I just defined a word by using the word itself in the definition, so let me back up and explain. A cell tower is a tall structure outfitted with telecommunication equipment that transmits and receives electronic information. You've seen these before, right? There are those towers alongside the highway that have fake tree branches attached to them to make them look prettier. Each cell tower provides service for a particular area of land, and these particular areas of land are known as cells. A cellular network comprises many cell towers, which is to say that a cellular network comprises many cells. Do you see the connection? If we were to back up and take a look at the interlocking boundaries of these land areas from afar, they would look like little cells belonging to a single, larger organism. In 1979, V.H. MacDonald published an article called The Cellular Concept, in which he explains the methods by which a more efficient means of mobile communication might be achieved. Accompanying this article was an abstract aerial visualization of what a cellular network might look like. The visualization depicts a giant blob, in other words, a cellular network, that consists of a dozen or so overlapping smaller blobs, in other words, cells. I'll post a picture of this initial image to my website. If you can't visualize what I'm trying to explain, stop this podcast for a second and just Google image search cellular network and you'll see what I mean. But if you're driving, just keep driving and do it later. Seriously, I got into a car accident yesterday and that wasn't fun for anyone. The good news is I'm okay, the other guy is okay, and here I am recording this episode for you guys. So all is right in the world. Based on what we've discussed, the application of the word cell to cellular phone is not just a metaphor, but a metaphor derived from another metaphor. It takes its cue from the biological sense of the word, which, as we know, comes from the resemblance of cork cells to monastic living quarters. Actually, aside from its original application to monastic living quarters, the word cell is always a metaphor. The only reason this flies over our heads nowadays is because the culture of medieval monks is no longer common knowledge. This kind of metaphorical reinvention of words results in the phenomenon known as polysemy, which is something I've already talked about on this show. 
Polysemy is basically when a single word has several different but related meanings depending on the context in which the word is used. Episode 4 of this podcast goes into further detail about polysemous words, so if that's something that you're interested in and would like to learn more about, be sure to go back and listen to it if you haven't already. Okay, that's it for this one, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time, I'll be wrapping up this mini-series about technology-related words, but I warn you, there will be a twist. Don't forget to follow Words for Granted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you know someone who you think might be interested in the podcast, don't keep it a secret. Tell them about it. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show, feel free to email me directly at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. And don't forget about that Patreon account. Okay, I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted. Thank you.